Welcome to the Hope Collective Message Podcast, where we find a confident expectation of a better tomorrow in the character and promises of God. To learn more about who we are, visit thehopeco.com. Here's today's message. Good morning, wonderful family. We're going to read Romans 8, 7 through 11. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. In fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give you life in your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the spirit of himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of God. Good morning. Uh, thanks, Chris, for reading all the way through verse 17. When you said I was only gonna, you were only going to read through verse 11, I panicked just a little bit. So, uh, and speaking of Dave being on sabbatical, uh, I think he's in and out of town, and maybe some of you run into him, Pastor Dave. And if you see him, if you could just do a couple things for me. If you could say, uh, boy, that speaker on Sunday, Joel... Just a minute, just a minute, just a minute. No, 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 no. Maybe at the end I'll add to it. He looks really good in blue, green, or whatever this is, and you have to say it exactly this way. I think he's wearing a new shirt. Just say it that way, okay? There's a little behind-the-scenes dialogue I have to put up with about every week when I run into Dave that has to do with my clothing, and I think it's time that that comes to light, and I know for sure that this was a new shirt because I took the tag off before I got here, so just please do that for me. I'm totally serious. I'm totally serious. Only to be stood up. Sorry, my son's only going to be here first hour. I could tell you a story about his dating life. But anyway, he's wearing a great linen shirt, which outdid me. I know he won't want this as a hand-me-down. But anyway, I hope you're having a great summer. I hope you've had an interesting week. We're in the kind of the end of the middle, the first third, heading towards the middle of this conversation on Galatians chapter 5. I hope your week was filled filled with joy and peace. Do you remember how Alex closed our service last Sunday? He prayed Romans 15, 13 over us. May God fill you with joy and peace. May he fill you with joy and peace. In some ways, I had a fairly ordinary week, which included a little bit of emergency uh, dental work on Thursday. And uh, sometimes those kind of challenges, they're all routine to us, right? But they, they challenge just how much joy and peace does God bring into our life. 
On a more serious note, last week, uh, Ken Gates, our very profound and brilliant speaker, began by sharing about his mom's death two years ago and then his brother's recent passing. And here's what I heard him say about joy. He didn't quite say it this way, but I think this is what he said. He said, life is loss. Life is loss. That's actually in Philippians chapter 3. So joy and peace are rooted in our ability to process loss and see God's goodness and greatness demonstrated in our life. Joy, then, is being properly disposed or kind of constituted as a human despite our suffering. And I think Ken went so far as to say that you can't truly be joyful until you suffer loss well. I hope you heard that. But he also made my message today a little bit easier uh, because peace is a very near relative to joy. And we're going to be talking about peace today, but actually just towards the end because there's just some very simple things that I'm going to say to help you understand biblical peace. Okay? But first, I have to do a couple quick updates. I want to give you a quick update on Bangladesh because many of you, although I've been around Hope Co., formerly Alpine, since the beginning, a lot of you haven't. And so in some way, I feel like I should know everyone here, but there's many new people. And uh, many of you have engaged me since I spoke in March because you were moved or touched by what we, the Hope Collective, are doing in Bangladesh. And so just a, a, a quick update on that. Um, as of this week, we actually have 277 children in the brothel who are now sponsored in a sort of a compassion-like program, which is just absolutely incredible. Uh, so we're hoping to begin a blog or some other form of regular updates uh, to convey what God's doing there. When I talked to Micah earlier uh, in the week, he said, well, we have pictures of the new latrines. And I said, no, we won't start there. So uh, it's coming. So great things are happening in Bangladesh. On a similar note, uh, Ephraim, who's our connection in Haiti, will be in town next weekend. If you pay attention to the uh, newsletter tomorrow morning, there'll be a link in the newsletter to sign up to participate in something that is happening with Ephraim next, next week, either next Sunday or next Monday. But he'll be around next Sunday uh, at the service or in between services to engage with him. And again, look for that link uh, in the newsletter. Third, a quick update about Ontario. I went into the Ontario wilderness a few weeks ago, and I had a great time, and I had the best fishing ever. And people should know that I fish, but they don't. And so if you want to come up and see my fishing pictures, I'd love to show those to you when we're done today, because I'm still thinking about the big northern I caught. And fourth, when Ken, after first hour last week, he came up to me last week, and he said, how'd I do? Is there anything I missed? Uh, and I said, well, you know, you ended seven minutes early. He said, yeah, I had seven minutes left. I said, well, I already banked those, so don't plan on going 35 in second hour. You get 28 minutes, and I get 42 next Sunday. <laughs> Seriously, although I can be bought out. So my wife has my phone. If you want to zell something, uh, maybe we can get this back down to 28. But then Ken said, but then Ken said somewhat sarcastically, and this grew out of a breakfast from two weeks ago, uh, because I meet about once a month with Ken and a couple other guys 
uh, very great, amazing people. And mostly, you know, we get together and kind of share our lives and then kind of solve the world's problems. And, uh, and, and Ken asked me, he said, hey, are you going to sneak in any puns in your message? And he was a little bitter about that because at the breakfast two weeks ago, I, I reminded Ken, I said, Ken, uh, my puns leave people numb. Okay, you know, he... And I said, and you know what my mathematical puns do? I said, they leave people even number. Okay? Some of you are going to need to see the slide. Thank you. Thank you. I thought I was going to have to go through this again. It was totally lost on my heads of state that I had breakfast with. Okay? And like two minutes later, I start laughing obnoxiously. And then Ken does this quick retake. And he's like, oh, ha, ha. did that slide go? See, my... Puns leave you numb, but my mathematical puns leave you even... Oh my gosh, it's one of my best ever. And so, then, and so then Ken says, you know, Joel, that's a prime example of why you don't get to speak very much. I said, Ken, that's completely irrational. And then the whole thing died, and we're walking out of the restaurant. I go to the left, he goes to the right, and he whispers under his breath, you know, you're an odd little man. <laughs> and so my point in this is, there's certain people up here who speak, Dave, who are very expansive in how they speak and what they say, and if you miss it the first time, they're going to say it three more times, okay? I'm very analytical and compact, and so sometimes if you don't hear what I say, you miss it. But God can be that way too, and some of what we're going to talk about this morning is very subtle and nuanced in how God might speak to you today. So here's what's, here's what's challenging for me in this conversation in Galatians chapter 5. Many of you know, because I shared the last time I was up, how deeply impacted I was by 1 John as a young Christian almost 40 years ago now. And my conviction over 1 John has only grown and intensified for my whole adult life. Now, much to the contrary, what we're going to talk about today is something where God has dramatically changed my mind late in my Christian life, really only over the last 10 years, which, is, which is, gives me a chance to kind of make this aside to you that it's very important in our Christian walk, in our Christian faith, to always approach God and his word with a kind of humility Right where we permit God to revise our otherwise prior and deeply held convictions. And this, this is one of those for me where I actually get to share a little bit of my story late in this message to illustrate what God has done. But this is something that is very, very profound and impactful to me today and where he's revised and challenged and reshaped my faith in dramatic ways. So we're going we're gonna to get there here as we talk about peace. So knowing that I was going to share my, my story, a little bit of my personal story with you, uh, I got up every morning this week and worked very diligently on the message at 6 o'clock. But by 6.02, I was actually unimaginably distracted doing every other important thing in my life. Besides the emergency dental, I actually, I got the master bathroom gutted, re-drywalled, taped, Okay, got the sheetrock up to do the tile. And then yesterday with my son, we took off the doors, the trim, cut the casings, and completely did new hardware wood floor up in one of the bedrooms. Okay, this was important stuff that needed to be done. 
mind you. But at about noon yesterday, Saturday at noon, all of a sudden, and I don't know why, a song plays on the radio, whatever station my son had off his Spotify, and it plays a song from my mom's funeral 11 years ago. And I think about it. In the back of my head is the whole message from Ken talking about his loss and whatnot. And here, I've just really struggled to compose myself for this message. And all of a sudden, at noon, I'm hearing this song from her funeral, which you, you, have, you wouldn't know it. What the song is doesn't matter, except I said, okay, God, I know you have something important you're going to say today. So let's pray. Let's get to the meat of this. Father, we do trust that you're speaking I'm just a spokesperson for your cause, and may you touch and impact us with a couple just really small, subtle things that if we're clear on, you may free us even more to live and walk in you. Amen. So in my early years, actually, as I came to Christ as a young person, you have to kind of listen to me a little bit philosophically this morning. Here are the categories that I use to process Christian faith. And, and you probably use these same categories. They were things like saved, being forgiven of my sins, and actually the language I would have had back in high school was going to heaven when I die. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but you know, in your spirit you can lift your hand if those are categories that you're familiar with for how to process and understand your Christian faith, right? Fairly ordinary, and I hope all of you do know those concepts. Now, here's what's interesting. When you read in Galatians chapter 5, those categories aren't hardly really even referred to at all. So let me read for you back a few verses earlier from the Fruit of the Spirit statement just to give you some context. Paul says this in Galatians 5.19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Well, here's what happened for me. This passage became kind of a stumbling block if you have forgiveness, salvation, and heaven when you die as your primary categories of understanding faith. This passage was a stumbling block for me. And, and here's how. I knew the dark side of many Christians, including myself, were some of the things in verse 519 in that big long list, which is actually, actually longer than the fruit of the Spirit list, Okay, where I knew Christians where those things were true of them, but then I also knew people who had no claim to faith and in no way claimed that they were Christians where the things in verse 522 were true of them. See? And so that scrambled and confused my faith, and I thought, well, this is all kind of optional then, whatever Paul's talking about in Galatians 5. Except that a few years ago, I, I'd read the book of Romans many times before a few years ago. This is actually about 10 years ago now. Some things in chapter 8 caught my attention 
okay? Which is why we read that chapter. And I, I, I would love for us at some time to actually expand on the book of Romans and maybe even do a Romans 8 series because you could spend about two months there. But I want to highlight one verse in Romans 8 and use that as a springboard for us to understand the Galatians 5 passage, okay? So first of all, take out a piece of paper and a pen on, you know, on the back because you're actually going to do two things, one now and one at the end of the service where, where you'll need that. And I think there's plenty around. Yeah, if you're in the front row, sorry, you'll have to kind of reach around. I, I didn't think to tell them to put them on your seat. But, but I want you to do, I want you to draw something, okay? And I want you to draw two circles, but listen carefully. Okay? I want you to draw one circle, and, and that circle represents people who are led by the Spirit of God. Okay? So just, just draw a circle. It, it can be any, I mean, it actually could be any shape, and you could draw it. It doesn't have to be perfect. It could be an oval, right? However you want to do it. Just draw that. Just, just draw a shape, okay? Just draw a shape. All right. So shape one is people who are led by the Spirit of God, okay? Do we need a clock or did you guys get that done? Good? Okay, so let's move on. Now draw another circle or a shape. Just draw a shape, just any shape. And here's what this one is. That represents people who are God's children, okay? Now, what is the relationship between those two circles that you just drew? Well, let me give you a hint, a little cheat. I'm going to highlight one verse that Chris read for us this morning, Romans 8, 14. And then I'll give you a chance to change your answer if you like. Romans 8, 14 says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. Okay, so now take a moment if you need to change it. How do your shapes look? Okay, well, not to be judgmental, try and be gentle, but this is what Paul says they look like. Can you see it? These are the two circles. They exactly overlap. See? So this is one of the ways in which I was profoundly moved and I don't know what part of my upbringing and where I got the idea, but somehow, uh, eventually I learned that those who are saved are children of God. And, and I understood that those were exactly the same class, but somehow in my mind I had this idea that those who are led by the Spirit were, I'm just, I'm just telling you my story, okay? We're a subset of the circle of people, the set of people who were led by the Spirit, or children of God, see? But actually, they're identical. And so now I'm going to be a philosopher for a moment, okay? Because I was a philosopher, I am a philosopher. Not to pull credentials, but I did teach logic at Northern Illinois University for a couple years. And uh, here's how you would say it. You are a child of God if and only if you are led by the Spirit of God. And then there's two implications, ways you could restate that, and here it is. It is not possible to be led by the Spirit of God and not be his child, nor, equally, it is not possible to be led, to be a child of God and not be led by his Spirit. Why? 
because those are exactly similar sets. So the set children of God and the set those who are led by the Spirit of God are one and the same. It's very important to understand that if you're going to understand Galatians 5. Okay? That's the logical foundation to understand what Paul's saying, actually rather anecdotally, almost like, well, and then it goes without saying. That's the tone in Galatians chapter 5. It's not instructional, so to speak, right? It's just something that, well, it's obvious. That's the way he says it. I'll unpack that a little bit. So earlier this week, I was sharing with one of my sons in Peoria how the message was developing and what I was going to say about it. And this is my oldest son, Zeke. He said immediately, see, this is how subtly God leads and convicts. He said, ooh, gee, I think I need to take a serious look in the mirror, right? Because he immediately figured out, oh, if the children of the God are those who are led by the Spirit of God and those are exactly similar sets of people, boy, I need to take a close look and just figure out, am I really being led by the Spirit of God? See? Well, I'm going to say something about that as we get to peace here. See, the fruit of the Spirit is not so optional, which I think is what I thought early on in my Christian faith. It's actually something that God is going to do which sounds pretty forceful, but I'll say it this way. It's something he has his heart set on giving us. The fruit of the Spirit is something God has set his heart on giving us. It's something that he does in us and for us and through us. So, now this is where it gets a little nuanced, so just listen with me for a couple minutes. We're good, because if I finish in eight minutes, then I'm seven minutes ahead like Ken, so we're good. So, Okay, sometimes our ordinary language that we use muddles the work of the Spirit and creates a bit of confusion. So listen, if you look around outside the walls of Hope Co. and just kind of look into our culture right now, actually this word community is a little bit of a buzzword. I mean, it's showing up everywhere. Everyone talks about how you're going to experience community in their setting. Thank you for nodding. So I don't know if you have community fatigue like I do, but it's all over everywhere. And so then here at Hope Co., what do we say? We say our primary offering of our church family and our church life is biblical community. Well, here's the funny thing. See, you might think that, oh, there's all different forms of community, but, but then biblical modifies the type of community we experience. Well, and that's just not right. I would argue that's dead wrong because biblical community is so categorically different than every other type of community that you ex can experience that we need a different way of describing it, right? Because it's the community piece in biblical community that's profoundly different, not, not community where you modify it with this sort of biblicalness, whatever that would mean. Well, let me give you another example, and this gets us back to the fruit of the Spirit conversation. Let's say that you're describing the Hope Collective to a neighbor, and, and, and they ask you to describe it, and you say, well, we experience biblical community, and we, and we do good works. That would be fair to say, right? I hope we're actively engaged in doing good works. And then once again, ordinary language could lead you astray. How do you describe the good works that we do? Well, how would you describe it? Anyone want to say, what are some of the good works we do around here? Who said that? Thank you. Food pantry. What else? We have, a, we have an amazing playground. How about even the Frisbee golf? Anything else? Well, the Bangladesh. 
All kinds of acts of generosity. Anything else? Share the gospel. Amen. Thank you. What else? The farm. Paul? Hope Legal, right? These are just the organized programs. Hopefully, uh, the, the majority of the good works are things that flow out of you and your life and your home and your neighborhood, and they're not even part of an organized program. See? But that person you're describing the good works to, in their, in their listening ear, they're, they're going to hear, oh, well, but any good person could do those good, same good works, right? No, that's wrong. See? Romans 8 and now Galatians 5 teaches us something radically different. And so the way I would do it, now let's see that slide. Let's see how the artist did here. A slide about good works. And, oh, it's behind me. Oh, they got to do that. Yeah, yeah. So I sent this in. I said, hey, I'm going to need some slides. And uh, I need one that says uh, uh, biblical community and doing good works. And then I got the text back from the staff. And they either autocorrected it or deliberately changed my spelling okay, to which I was just a little bit perturbed with, provoked, in a fruit of the spirit sort of way. And, uh, and I said, no. And I had to resend it and say, no, you misspelled community. You spelled community with an O and you spelled good, G-O-O-D, and you spelled works, W-O-R-K-S. Well, no, that's worldly community and that's worldly good works, see, because our community and our good works are categorically different. And so, although it sounds similar, it actually looks very different. What's the difference in look? How does it look different? It looks so different because our motivations are different. We act on different motives. We live, these are three examples. We live to please God. We don't live for the praise of others. We seek to advance God's business and his bottom line, not build our own empire. Or how about this? We live for long-term purposes, not short-term gains. Think about it. You could come up with some more. See, so on the surface, all kinds of good works look similar to our good works, but our good works are what? They're an expression of the fruit of the Spirit, and they're categorically different because it's something that God does, not something that we do. So let's talk about peace for a few minutes. Peace and joy are closely related, and you can master your understanding of peace with just a little bit of reflection. And you're going to walk away with something very tangible that you can use to understand whether or not you are experiencing that fruit of the Spirit and whether or not God's developing that in you. Okay? So Ken taught last week, and this was amazing. I thought about this all week. I actually asked him for his resources and looked it up. But he he. he taught us that the biblical idea of joy is what? Just think for a moment. What, what was it? It's this, to live with your head held high. That's the root of the word, okay? Well, here's how joy and peace are really closely linked and why in Romans 15, Paul says, why, yeah, I pray that you're filled with joy and peace. This is how they go together, see? What causes us to hang our head so low, so to speak? Maybe it's that you're downtrodden or discouraged, defeated, depressed, even feeling despair. That was pretty good with the Ds, wasn't it? Um, thanks. Some people like those more than the puns. I know it's not 1998 anymore, but anyway. Um, have you ever experienced an arrhythmia in your spirit? See? You might know it as worry, anxiety, edginess, a disposition to anger, 
or in any way, shape, or form an inner restlessness, see, those are all symptoms of a distrust or sense of alienation from God that even we as his children and his followers are vulnerable to that inner restlessness. So, here it is. If joy is a way of describing what God activates in us when we become alive to him, so that instead of apathy or despair, we experience kind of a robustness in our mood or attitude or newness of mind because of our new way of thinking about our life, if that's joy, peace is a way of describing what God deactivates in us so that we can rest in him. Peace is the best way of describing a deep and profound state of inner rest that is an expression of trust and confidence in God. It's that simple. Joy, the spirit activates something new in us. Peace, God deactivates something bad in us. And they go hand in hand. When God brings you joy, he brings you peace and vice versa. So I want to close by telling you about a conversation. that I had with my mom a long time before she passed away. Actually, back when I was in my 20s. When I graduated from high school, I went to Moody Bible Institute, and after a year, Moody Bible Institute, for a variety of reasons, I tried, decided to transfer to Illinois State University and study philosophy. So kind of this very secular course of studies instead of sort of the Bible college route. And so I, I wasn't really excited to update my mom about it, um, but so I had this conversation with her, and uh, let me just do the setup. My faith journey really began on this bike trip when I was in high school over Memorial Day weekend with the Campus Life Ministry, a youth ministry, and I only share this little piece because of how it relates to the fruit of the Spirit. Otherwise, I would never share this detail, and when I'm done, my wife's going to come up to me and say, well, you never shared that with me. So... Please, just give me some grace. I'm speaking. Uh, so it was, the bike trip began on Thursday night. It was Saturday night. We were biking from town to town in Wisconsin. We had these amazing, just like they're going to do next week at uh, Breakaway. We just had these amazing speakers and amazing energy, and amazing people, and just this amazing weekend camp. And somehow, a, a, a small group of guys Somehow, when we were staying in local churches, a small group of girls found out that there was guys from the suburbs hanging out in their small town in Indiana, I mean, in, in Wisconsin. And so they decided to kind of meet us, and they got our attention, and we got into this conversation. And there was a lot of high school energy, let's say, okay? <laughs> this is so profound. It's so clear to me right now. It, it feels like I'm in this exact moment. And again, again, in, in, in this moment when there was sort of a very well-defined readiness for kind of like a romantic encounter, I don't know how else to say it. Uh, in that moment, just like that fast, just that fast, somehow in my spirit, I was no longer into that girl and I was like into God. And just in one moment, I, I said to the girl, I said, hey, why don't you and your friends come listen to the speaker and be a part of our night? To which they were disinterested and they left. 
But literally from that moment in my life, and, and, and if you had to press me for like a conversion moment, I, that's actually what I would say, even though I think God changed me and grew me and maybe won me over a long period of time. But in that moment, something dramatically changed. But here's, here's how I experienced the change in my life, okay? My love for others, like the next morning, was so deliberate and obvious that I wanted to be known and characterized by my love for others. And it's something that I've, I brought a lot of energy to. The, the joy that I was experiencing. And this, this went on not just for the weekend or the summer or the next year, but this was the trajectory of my life. The, the joy, trust me, I knew I was joyful. I was freed. Okay? I think I was doing okay on the kindness thing. When it got to the gentleness, well, I did actually have some youth staff tell me, you know, Joel, you're a brick covered in velvet which I think meant I could probably be a little more gentle and it wouldn't hurt anyone. You know? But notice I left out the peace part because I had no understanding of peace. I didn't know it was in the fruit of the spirit. I didn't know the passage. Um, and here's what my mom said to me when I said I was leaving Moody Bible and going to a secular university. She said, you know, Joel, you're just such an amazing young man. You've changed so dramatically you know, over the last couple of years. Which I'm like, oh, good. I, I was hoping you noticed. And... But then here's what she said. She said, you're so peaceful. You, there's this inner quality of peace in you. And, I, and I'm like, I mean, at the time, I'm like, oh, you know, great. Because I, I, I didn't see it. I didn't know it. But here's my point. It wasn't something I was working on because the fruit of the Spirit isn't something that we work on. Fruit of Spirit is something that God's going to do in us because he set his heart on it, Right? And he was, he was producing that fruit in me and changing me in a way that, of course, I benefited from it, but he also blessed others, especially my family, you know, in that, see? And that's the mind we have to have as we approach this. So let me just conclude with this. So actually, and then I have a question for you. You might write, write something down on your uh, note card again. Those who are being saved, those that are saved, and those that are planning for a future with God are identical to the people who are sons and daughters of God and therefore are identical to the people who are led by God's Spirit. Those are identical sets of people and you have to be clear on that. See, God has done it all for us and so the life we now live, we live in him. His Spirit leads us to live differently because he changes our disposition towards our life. And we now think about life differently and our motives for actions change. So what do others say about you? Is the fruit of the Spirit evident in your life? Or maybe even more importantly, what do you say about yourself? Do you want the fruit of the Spirit to characterize your disposition towards life? See, because you're responsible to manage your desires and longings. Paul wraps up this, this thought in Galatians 5, verse 25, and he actually calls this keeping in step with the Spirit. Keeping in the step with the Spirit is primarily you managing your desires and longings so that God can bring about that fruit in your life. And so here, as I get ready to pray, and I'm just going to pray Romans 15, 13 over us today, and then we'll be done a minute early. Um, but maybe write this down. 
What does God want to deactivate in your life so that you can rest in him? Does God want to deactivate anything so that you can rest in him? We'll close in prayer, and then I'm going to read Romans 15, 13. And then we're going to be dismissed, actually. I'm going to dismiss you, so because I want that 30 seconds in my account. So, Father, we thank you for your word to us. And as we live our lives surrendered to you, thank you for your heart to shape us with this fruit in our life. We benefit from it, and you bless others with it, and that's just so amazing. And so I pray again now what we heard even last week, that it may be true again this week of us. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen. Amen. Thanks for spending time with the Hope Collective. If you appreciated this message, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. You can also leave a rating or review, which will help other listeners find us online. Thanks again for joining us.